Yeah. So, so. uh uh run th- this week's been weird as shit. Yeah. I don't know. Like I mean, uh yeah, first off, uh Italy voted. We will talk more in depth about that. Mm-hmm. Uh with David who's coming on the show and we will talk about all things uh Italian fascism, uh you know, <laughs> what's hot, what's not. Um but yeah, uh, uh, Russia expanded. I guess oh, <laughs> yesterday. God. I don't know. I don't know what else has been uh, has been on 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 your radar. Oh, the pipeline. Oh thing. yeah, the pipeline. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and didn't like a uh, that tweet of like a uh, Polish. Was he? Is it? Oh, Polish? you mean? Yeah, yeah. He's uh, MP he's or something. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And Applebaum's like, uh, husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, "Thanks, USA." It's Thank like, you, USA. Oh my God! You yeah, we're all gonna freeze today. <laughs> yeah. What is that song? You don't know that song? No. Okay. So, okay. Perfect. Perfect. Oh God. Uh, you know, <laughs> into the brain of Nick. Uh, there's an Albanian nationalist song like during the the Kosovo Albanian War, like you know against yeah, you know, yeah, Serbia yeah. and all that stuff. Of, uh, uh, I think it's just called "Thank You USA," and it's this like Albanian dude singing, just like in a very in in in, like mostly. I think it's all in English. It's like "Thank You USA, you are my best friend." Oh my god, you are the like yeah, you are the like not not redeemer. You are the legend. The man, the myth. Yeah, the man, the the myth, the legend. Yeah, like think about that too. That then like. Being a country that's so stoked about like Bill Clinton. Oh, don't even Jesus. Yeah, I mean that is literally Kosovo right there. It's just <laughs> like, yeah, welcome to fucking Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton Square. Yeah, I was gonna say, don't they have a square with like yeah. a statue? It's pretty creepy. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. really that. Yeah, Bill Clinton only but, creepy for a statue, well, yeah, okay. not, for, <laughs> not for the other stuff. <laughs> but yeah, that was the first thing that my mind went to when I saw the. Uh, tweet. When I saw the tweet, was the yeah. thank you USA. You're my best friend. I mean, I bet he has it on his playlist. Like, just listens to oh, it. Yeah, him, every every yeah. morning. Yeah, when him and him when him and Ann Applebaum fucking no, get no, busy, no. they put on the Albanian <laughs> thank you USA song. That's the only thing that gets him going. Right yeah, away. exactly. Like, yeah, it's like that. It's like that Reddit post of the guy who's like, no, oh, no, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> the song that helps you fuck. Uh, it's like the worst. I haven't actually listened to this song. You haven't listened? Okay, no. first off, we have to admit that then 2012 was a weird year musically, Fair just enough. in general. And the song, I forget the name of it, but it came up and it's like this like weird trip-hop song. Oh, like, okay, okay, it's okay. it's bad in the regard that then that a lot of music in 2012 that was like in that genre, in that, yeah, yeah. in that you know, what Pitchfork was like trying to tell you is cool, with a lot of it was really fucking bad. Mm-hmm, because okay. even then, if you look up like reviews of this album, that then is like, from that time period, it was like relatively like received well, yeah. well you know, and whatnot. So <laughs> we just, um, Kieran and I have plenty of talks about music of the like late aughts, early 2010s. We forgot that like things like Skrillex were like the shit. Oh my yeah. God, don't even. See, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went through my Skrillex phase, but only because I was one of those girls that were like, I'm not like other girls. But then in reality... But you obviously, like everyone. yeah, obviously, yeah. because, you know, there's a time that you just want to look cool and you just want to be like. You want to bump uh, scary sprites <laughs> or whatever the fuck that album was called. <laughs> the thing- I don't even know. 
No, uh, scary monsters or whatever. I don't know. The thing about it too is that then, all right, here's my here's my most controversial take ever on the show. Have you gone back and like listened to Skrillex like like, like recently? No, there's really. a reason why people liked it. It's incredible. Like compare that to like other of that like bro dubstep stuff that was made mm-hmm. at the time. It's produced incredibly well. Like mm-hmm. yeah, his songwriting sure. and stuff like that is like clearly someone who like knows music really well, even to the point that then that Skrillex like literally samples his own voice of like other songs that he has recorded <laughs> just to like, yeah, like the, um, the sample of, of the song, I think it's called the Equinox or whatever. It was like one of his other big know, sing- yeah, singles. Yeah, yeah. He sampled himself from like when he was in like an emo band. And oh just sampled his own voice, just like that. He was in an emo band. Yeah, yeah. he was in. Uh, I forget the name of it. I, uh, but oh, okay, yeah, the full spectrum. <laughs> yeah, like it's just the biggest like producer own of like I'm gonna sample myself from a different song that I was on in a complete different genre, and it's gonna sound cool. That's pretty. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty yeah. cool. So like, it's like as much as enough. like the music is silly, and like he also still does like collaborations with like a lot of like really good artists still today. Like I mean, he has like one with like Travis Scott recently, and he's done one with. Uh, um, I think Fortet also as well. He's like been consistently doing music with like people who are like actually like pretty talented. I mean, not that he's like untalented, but oh, I yeah. forgot how he looked like. I just the Skrillex. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, he's one sixty-four centimeters. Oh, yeah, he's really short. He's, I don't know uh, what that is in 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 feet, but um, that's like I'll uh, say like five six. Five six. Yeah. Oh hell five, yeah. Five seven. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not much taller than that. I don't know why I'm like. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. No, me. I'm like uh, I'm like 190, bro. Like I swear. <laughs> if you couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So I uh, I just love the fact though that then uh, back to the you know, yeah, news. Tough, I, guess, huh? yeah. I just love that. Um, one, there is that hilarious video of of Joe Biden being like, "We will, we will, we will stop Nord Stream too," and then journalists being like, "How will you do that?" He's like, "We will." Like, yeah. don't even question it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the thank you USA post is just like, and then now apparently you're cuckoo if you think that those two are in any way connected, you know? Oh, of course. And yeah. the fact that then the United States was doing, um, you know, underwater drone Maneuver- uh, maneuvers. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like literally the same, yeah, in the same spot. I was yeah. so tempted too because there's also, like, the two conspiracy theories that I've liked in the sense, I guess they're all conspiracy <laughs> theories, that I've liked the best is that been that one, Russia snuck a submarine in there, shot it, left. You to know. blame the USA for Yeah, that. exactly. Mm-hmm. First one, um, I actually like wanted to ask my friend who was a submariner about this or a submariner of how Jeez. would that work? Because I don't think it does. Of like once if a submarine the area is so small oh, The Raider would definitely pick up Well the Raider wouldn't pick up the submarine, it would pick off the the waves coming back from the explosion to then okay. eventually hit the submarine. Okay. And I don't think that then a submarine would be able to get off of that like out of that quick enough. Okay. Also because that straight there is incredibly narrow. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that then um like my friend was telling me that then in drills, when they're trying to like find submarines, you can like bang like everything that you have inside of like wrenches, hammers. Like mm-hmm. you can bang on the hull of a submarine, and they will not find it. Like there has to be a change oh, God, in something. Stop. Oh Jesus! Yeah, yeah. They're like they're beyond stealth. Like, uh, but the thing is too is that Russia, I don't think, has many like nuclear submarines. Which then diesel submarines, you mm-hmm. would still pick up their engine. So yeah. 
There's yeah. a, again, I'm no by no means a sub expert. I can talk to a sub expert about this, but, <laughs> and we'll uh, get back and to I'll you. I'll get back to you on it. But that was one that made a little bit no sense to me. The other one, which is the best one, is could dolphins have done this? What? Yes, someone said that. Yes, Welt said this. Welt had an entire article, entire video about how um, actually because Russia has uh, trained dolphins in Sevastopol. That there's a possibility that they could have rigged dolphins with explosives and just oh, had no, them go. <laughs> no, some kamikaze kind of like dolphin mission. Yeah. Like, oh god. Well, the thing oh. is, is that then dolphins have been used by multiple navies. They're mostly yeah. just to do like spy shit because mm-hmm. they, you know, they're dolphins. Like they can <laughs> live as a dolphin, and then you can like you know they you can put them with like certain things on them and they're able, mm-hmm. they're able to like you know track movements of ships and stuff like that you know they're also incredibly intelligent mm-hmm. and whatnot and they can then give like relays of you know data to uh to uh to whoever whatever military is using them but i don't think yeah rigging a kamikaze dolphin like yes. it's like all right yeah. now uh you know uh mission is that you're gonna go and <laughs> you're gonna yourself torpedo off. yourself <laughs> yeah for uh you know, you're, you're going to do, like, the dolphin equivalent of 9-11. Like, That's, what kind of mental gymnastics do you have to do to get to, like, to say, yeah, it was dolphins? Instead of being like, okay, who is actually benefiting from this? Okay, this country, mm, maybe <laughs> it was no, this country. it's Russia doing uh, dolphin 9-11. Dolphin. <laughs> Yeah, that is the stupidest thing I've ever... It's, yeah. Yeah, one, because it's just, I love when people who have no knowledge of, like, any military stuff get, like, whiff of military don't, don't stuff. Even, oh, uh, yeah, you are literally a military historian. Yeah, yeah. So, even. and it's just like, you know, what about if, uh, you know, the U.S. is using, like, it's... I don't know, I, I can't even think of something that dumb off the no, top say, of No, like, <laughs> say it, because it just pisses me off. No, yeah, it's 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 really... Because they do come up with the most random or, like, far-fetched stuff. And, like, I hate to be that person. But then you have to be that person being like, well, as a historian, <laughs> that's not correct. Well, actually. Well, actually. Like, I do hate being that person. But sometimes it's like, w- how did you come to this conclusion? Like, I need to say something. This is not fucking... Yeah. yeah. Oh, the third one also then being that then Russia, which this is the, I think, the very most unlikely. Well, no, the second most unlikely one because the dolphin one <laughs> oh, is yeah, so far-fetched that, like, that yeah. I mean, you know, got to mention the dolphin one, that uh, apparently Russia then sent in a, uh, um, I don't know what their version of it, but like would be like they're, they're the frogmen or they're like Spetsnaz oh. groups or whatever the fuck yeah. would do. It would be, I think it would be some subsidiary of Spetsnaz. Yeah. Would then they went in, they dove, and then they put on explosives. Like that one happens. I just don't know how you would sneak a like that area is like literally in between three countries, all yeah. of whom are NATO yeah. members. Yeah, like and, well, you could just go with a like a kayak or something. <laughs> like, I mean, they have those the like only, they yeah. have those underwater propelled things that they can ah, like get okay. that they can like get themselves through with that's like kind of logical but then at the but same still. point as an extraction i don't know how that would work like yeah exactly like because contrary to popular belief in movies uh, a lot of these like socom spec ops ops like mm-hmm. don't work very well yeah, <laughs> like they get yeah, caught exactly. all the time yeah. or you make a you know hollywood movie where you just lie about what happened to you and then uh to make it heroic and- yeah Instead of the fact that you were just dumb and got caught and (laughs) something illegal. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, But I I think it's very clear. Official Corner Spatey uh, uh, position is that 
thank you USA you oh, did yeah. actually do this yep yeah yep. or it's or 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 the dolphins or yeah yeah i'm leaning towards <laughs> the dolphins i think yeah i mean you know uh, uh like and subscribe underneath and uh, you can uh you know uh sound off in the comments which one do you think it was was it uh you it know, was whales actually <laughs> It was actually the uh, those little seals that then that they no. put the they put the gun on and then they, then they spin around. You know the ones. I think they're also the Russian military used them. Uh, probably. Yeah. I don't know. They just put seals in like Russian sailor outfits oh. and like strapped guns to them and they just like spun around. It's an adorable <laughs> video. Also very weird. It's yeah okay. Pick your favorite animal that would possibly do a terrorist attack against a you know pipeline. <laughs> oh. Um yeah, I everything else is just depressing. Like oh yeah, I mean it's... yesterday too. Uh, what is it? Yeah, uh, we're recording this on Saturday, the first of October. It's officially it's officially mm-hmm. uh, uh spooky season. spooky season and uh your birthday month. So uh yeah. you know. With Yulia. Congratulations to you guys. Hell yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I just love the fact then too that yesterday, I mean, obviously, yeah, there was that stellar concert that uh, <laughs> was in Red shanty. Square. Yeah, with this with the with the with the Donetsk sea shanty dancers or whatever. That was one of the weirdest I, videos. Yeah, They're still doing know. it. <laughs> like <laughs> Hey, you know, it's um, a choice. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Know. <laughs> well, I mean, because I guess like anyone that thinks cool in Russia is like either like not doing music or uh, I mean, I know that there's like rap. I think it's because like it was just very like at the time that they made the song, it was no, just... no, it was already late. They were already like remember, we were well, late to the trend, but like yeah, to the oh the sea shanty was like like massive like last, uh, year, last year, yeah, you know, yeah. like last winter actually. No, I remember it being like. Pretty cool. Well, was it in last this spring? Ugh, I don't even know. Like, no, no, no. Because this spring is when the war started, and then they did oh, the true. sea shanty song. And they, they were already yeah, like yeah. half a year late on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. But uh, God, I, we should link that video again in the in the description. <laughs> that video is so weird. Um, yeah, no. Uh, well, because like a lot of like Russian musicians of like. Mm-hmm younger ones that then are like have younger fan bases have all either like left the country yeah and whatnot like I mean, they all live in london basically. yeah or like they're like what some of them aren't allowed back in the country i know that then like when it comes to like russian rap groups I, that's like probably the only thing that then i like or like rappers i pay attention to uh I guess they're not they're not rappers, but like okay, like like little big doesn't live in russia anymore mm-hmm. like they left the country i think they live in the u.s now um, they've been pretty vocal about that they are uh, against the war, which is good. Um, and then one of the funniest ones to me has been the rapper Morgenstern, who's like uh, he started as a he started as like as like a, t- a Twitch streamer, oh. who then now is a rapper, and he's from like uh, he's from like central like the cent- like one of the central Asian states of Russia. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when the war broke out, he like he he moved to Dubai because of yeah either Dubai or Israel. I can't remember which one. Cause he's also, he's also Jewish, like Jewish mm-hmm. Russian moves into Israel, starts them produce like He like made a, a song, uh, also as like an anti-war song. I think it was called 12 
And it's like one of those weird things like rappers don't know how to do politics. So it's just like he's like, I'm in my car cruising like the McLaren so loud. And at the end of it, it's like, yeah, war's bad. And then has like a voicemail of like a mom of someone who oh, is God. like, you know, it's like really weirdly done. But the like thing behind it's at least like good. And, you know, I yeah, respect yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But it's just really funny seeing in the sense that then he like was Russia then banned him from the country not because of his politics or like oh yeah you have a drug charge like you have to leave the country so he's just like yeah fuck it I'm never coming back here again whatever so because he just, of he just goes, yeah because of a drug charge like because they wanted like they can't it's so a lot of the like a lot of the streamers and rappers and whatnot were just like their sites were just taken down mm-hmm. at the beginning of the oh yeah yeah um yeah. like yeah. at the beginning of the mobilization like in February of uh what February 24th like a lot of the like they had their Instagrams taken down, mm-hmm. um, obviously also in conjunction with like Amazon, like a lot of these Twitch streamers were like banned and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But the ones that then are seeing that then when their politics come through is really funny because it's either like, oh, OK, yeah, they have to like do it in this like very like sensitized, like 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 um, like sanitized version of politics. Mm-hmm. They can't be like, you know, like they're still Russian citizens. You know, yeah, like yeah. it is it is. Or the other one being then like the rapper Timachi, a Ch- Chimachi, whatever the fuck his name is. He's like one of the biggest Russian rappers, okay. and he's been at every opening of their like new uh, McDonald's and like Starbucks and whatnot. He's also one of the main investors in it. Oh. And I remember like seeing, I think Kieran posted pictures of this. He's like literally oh, at everyone. He's a big fan of Putin. Obviously, he's been one for a while. Um, but yeah, I don't know why they didn't get him to perform. Oh, you he know? wasn't at the concert. No, it was just all these like weird like like. Like, I would just compare it to, like, Schlaga music, you know? <laughs> like, very, just this, like, yeah, really yeah, yeah. super lame. That one white guy with the dreadlocks, just, like... Oh, I saw a picture, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe too much he was there, and I just, like, didn't see it. Because I I was watching it, like... Yeah. Had big... You blacked out. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was on the this ground so convulsing, because it was too much. <laughs> it was too much, you know, uh, uh, Russian supremacy for me. I couldn't oh, take God. it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you look at the 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 details of the uh, um, like the how the uh, how Ukraine voted in joining Russia? <laughs> no. Um. One of them was ninety nine percent. The other one was ninety eight percent. And then I forget which one was like ninety two percent. And then Zaporizhia was like I think eighty seven percent. Or was it Kazakhstan? One of them. One of the ones that were like clearly yeah. like these because I mean as we like. You know, before you were on the show, like many mm-hmm. moons ago, we <laughs> like talked three about. Three months ago. <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> Kieran and I, I think, like, talked extensively in the sense of that the thing that would have made most sense for Putin would have just been to attempt to annex the, you know, Donetsk and Lukansk People's Republics mm-hmm. and then try to then negotiate on that. Regardless of how illegal that is, it would have been better than a fucking war. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> Um, so, but now it's like, then they're just like, they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. Okay. DPR, LPR, fine. Like they're going to join. Also like these two regions that we don't actually control, like Zaporizhia yeah. is like partially still controlled by Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Kherson is like, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's so, it's so just goofy, all of it. <laughs> but obviously then the response that if I were Ukraine that I would 100% do, uh, would be just to immediately be like, I'm going to join NATO. Oh <laughs> God, we're all just going to die. <laughs> Atomic wars. Yeah, I don't want to be minutes. turned to a shadow because, you know, 
Zelensky is bitten off a little bit more than he can chew. Because, like, NATO won't let them join. I was going to say, yeah, like, they said no, right? Like, they were like, no, sorry. Oh, yeah, that was the thing that was so funny is that then uh, uh, Jens Stoltenberg yesterday just, like, immediately is like, oh, we're going to have a big unprecedented meeting about NATO, and then just, like, says nothing. <laughs> like, oh my God. they made this, like, you know, uh, uh, 8 o'clock, or, sorry, like 6 o'clock, you know, uh, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, NATO time. Yeah. Big announcement coming, and the big announcement is like, uh, we are still going along. <laughs> we with, have a meeting. We have a yes. meeting. Uh, Ukraine, uh, uh, nations are allowed to join NATO if they feel like it. It's NATO is just a vibe. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, and then that was like, his press conference was like all of like five minutes, I think. Oh and then the God. questions were then like, you know, obviously then doing the thing of like, yeah, no, no, no. NATO's not in this war. What are you talking about? We're just supporting Ukraine, you know? So uh, I need to work on my... You know what? I don't need to work on my Schlottenberg voice because he's supposed to be leaving the end of this month. Oh, yeah. So yeah. you're fine. You're good. Yeah, which then means I have to get good at impersonating Boris Johnson. Oh, God. Can you even do a British accent? No, I can't. I yeah. don't have a British accent. Why don't, can I? No, I of course not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to legitimize anything of that country, so... <laughs> But yeah, no, rumors going around a few months ago that then Boris Johnson was going to become the head of NATO. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. wow, that would And I think that then he Sorry, I dropped the cable. <laughs> he very well could be because like remember um Boris Johnson only stepped down because of like one of the dumb like the fact that then that not because his scandals were bad, it was just that then like mm-hmm. his government just continuously like what is it, like thirty seven members of his cabinet all stepped down within one day or some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. But the thing that he still kept doing under all the scandals was just visit Zelensky as many times as he possibly could. Oh my yeah. Like literally everyone was telling him, like, resign. We hate you. Like, and he was basically just hanging out with Zelensky, <laughs> like, like, like looking all glue like gloomy and like yeah. yeah. Okay. That was the, those were the funniest videos too, where he would like go and like meet with people and they just ask them to be like they like they love him. Oh yeah, yeah. There's even like a they like name made like a Boris Johnson Street or some shit like that or in, whatever in Kiev. Yeah, I see. Uh-huh. I didn't see that. Jesus. I'm waiting for then when there's like new oblasts in Ukraine that are called like <laughs> Bayraktar and Boris Johnson. <laughs> like, oh no, Jesus. So there already is, of course, like a Bayraktar way or something like that somewhere in in Kiev as well. Yeah, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, Bo- like the Boris Johnson one could have just been like a temporary thing to be like, look, we did this for you. Like, yeah, isn't yeah. that look, cute? Give us money. We like you. Yeah. <laughs> like, look. So, uh, I will. We will keep you updated on on uh, if they're you know you know if Jens Stoltenberg first steps down and two when he does, we will be live from <laughs> Brussels. <laughs> To, yeah, subscribe to our Patreon. Yeah, for that. yeah subscribe to our to our OnlyFans <laughs> for, for that exclusive content. It's just feed pics of Boris Johnson. Oh, no, yeah. Jesus Christ. Oh, he has. You know that he has probably like Hobbit little like feet. Like just. Of course. How yeah. how tall? Like he's tall. Like oh yeah, true, 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 true. I saw. Yeah, but yeah, I just yeah. imagine he has like very but, stubby feet. Yeah, he's not an. Uh, uh, an attractive person but then he has like a thousand kids yeah with like a thousand women that That's, he doesn't even know yeah like, god damn it man. i mean you know didn't he cheat, like didn't he like his wife had cancer and then he cheated on her with someone else that sounds and then about just right. like yeah no yeah that sounds boris johnson yeah. <laughs> like, that sounds uncharacter 
And now he's married to this other woman. Oh, he's like, oh, congratulations. Yeah. No, well, I mean, I think they married recently. I like, thought so too, a yeah. A couple years ago yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, well, he's oh, like, anyway. Ugh. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is not the Boris Johnson hour. But, no, exactly. Uh, so we did sit down, as I mentioned earlier. Italy decided to, uh, you know, press the fascism button, or did they? You know, mm. uh, we will find out because uh, we spoke with. Uh, David Broder from Jacobin, uh, you know, who is uh, our go-to guy on the ground. (laughs) Actually, who is in Rome at the moment of recording this. Yeah, literally. Yeah, we spoke to him on the, yeah, the recent Italian elections, what Fratelli d'Italia and people like Giorgia Maloney mean for not just Italy currently, but the movement of not only just the Italian right, but also then the internationalist right movement. And, um, you know, maybe there's a promo code, too, at the end for David's new book that is also about, then, the, uh, well, I mean, it's called Mussolini's Grandchildren. You so, can, uh, yeah. <laughs> you can, you can, you know, guess what it means for yourself. But without further ado, uh, here's our talk with David that we recorded just before this. So, <laughs> Enjoy. Hey, welcome to your weekly corner spatey. It's myself, Nick, joined with Uma. Hi. And we have once again a very special guest, David Broder here, uh, editor at Jacobin, <laughs> to uh, come back and talk about the recent elections in Italy. So welcome, David. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me on. As of uh, l- last last Sunday, which was the uh, the 22nd, Italy... Oh, 25th. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, September 25th, Italy went to the polls and uh, 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 girl power reigned supreme, <laughs> apparently, as uh, uh, Giorgia Maloney from the uh, previously kind of underdog right wing party Fratelli d'Italia is most likely going to be the new prime minister. I guess we can talk about then the more, um, you know, the the. The finer details of coalition building in Italy. What's the likely outcome of this? But needless to say, uh, yeah, Fratelli d'Italia won the majority, and uh, a very controversial figure could be Italy's first female uh, prime minister, and uh, also probably the closest ideological thing to true fascism <laughs> that this country has had, uh, at least in a while. I mean, MSI definitely is a you know, interesting mm-hmm. hist- uh, party historically. But yeah, so uh, we wanted to uh, have David on to obviously talk about this and just kind of like, who is Georgia Maloney? Like she, she, uh, her and her party seem to just kind of pop out of nowhere. So like, what's the like, what's the backstory on her and, and, and Fratelli d'Italia or Brothers of Italy in English? Mm-hmm. Well, so uh, Georgia Maloney, uh, is the leader of Fratelli d'Italia and was one of the co-founders of the party in 2012. Uh, it was actually created as a split from uh, the party le- uh, led at the time by Silvio Berlusconi uh, called Pop- uh, Popolo della Libertà, People of Freedom. Uh, but of course, it has a much longer history in the uh, MSI. So the MSI is the neo-fascist party created in 1946 and which lasted until 1995. And almost all of the main leaders of Fratelli d'Italia are people who were in the MSI before it dissolved. 
And in a way, you could say Fratelli d'Italia is like a, a conscious recreation of the MSI. Um, so um, indeed has the MSI's logo within its own one, uh, which is quite typical of like Italian parties, uh, which uh, claim some sort of heritage. So they have like a logo and then like a circle within it that are like to tell you like who they really are, like where it comes from. Um, so Giorgio Milani uh, joined the MSI in 1992 when she was uh, 15 years old. And she's uh, from Garbatella, which is a, a quite working class and quite left-wing neighborhood in Rome. Uh, neither of her parents are Roman, uh, but her dad uh, is a, uh, her dad was, according to her book, uh, a communist who then like abandoned the family when she was one year old. One year, uh, one year old, yeah. Uh, so, uh, and who she like never met, and so on. Um, so, she joined the MSI, this party in 1982, um, a party which like had been created by veterans of the Salon Republic, which means that they collaborated with Nazi Germany uh, right to the end, right until uh, the end of April 1945, when of course Mussolini was uh, shot and hung upside down. Uh, if you think of like the time when Milani joined, like on the one hand, the kind of original leaders were handing over to a new generation, people who'd maybe grown up in the kind of years of lead, like the kind of 1970s violence of, of Italy, but who hadn't actually like experienced World War II. And in a certain like Milani is a, a kind of generation on even from even from that, you know, someone who became politically active in the 1990s when like you know the Cold War is over. Uh, the party had like fully accepted like electoral and constitutional means of politics rather than like you know mainly organizing through street violence, although some there certainly was, uh, and also at a time when like it kind of begins to uh, integrate into its ideology like more varied uh, sort of references, like kind of like some liberals, uh, some kind of stuff like you know even from like Ronald Reagan. Um, and becomes like a, a party that with a neo-fascist past, but which like also binds that together with, with kind of different uh, elements. And you, and you can kind of see that in her uh, political makeup today. Yeah, like they're, they're definite. I mean, for, for those who have been lurking on social media, I think one of the most prominent things that have come up has been, uh, as you mentioned, a, you know, kind of younger, you know, more, I don't want to use the word like punk rock, but there is like the video of her like in like, a. I think it's like she's in like a leather jacket, like looking all cool. And then talking about in, I think in French too, not even in Italian about how like Mussolini is cool. Yeah, yeah. So oh, she, was like... she was interviewed by uh, France 3, like a French TV station during the 1996 general election campaign. So she was like 19. And yes, yeah, so she says in French that... um yeah, Mussolini was better than all the politicians from the previous 50 years. Uh, it's also quite interesting that she yeah. did that in 1996, because this is like after the point. So basically the MSI um, in 1994-95 uh, changed its name to Alianza Nazionale, like National Alliance, and like sort of proclaimed that it had like distanced itself from this fascist past. Uh, but like maybe we'll talk about like there's a kind of continual trend in the party since then to kind of announce that it is no longer bound to the past, but which actually then does still continue to talk about fascism a lot and to venerate people who are fascists. What it's really trying to signal is it doesn't want to other people to talk about it uh, and criticize it because it has kind of normalized itself, become a sort of party of government 
uh, basically without really having to, to get rid of its past or change its culture, basically because in 1994, when Silvio Berlusconi came into politics, uh, he said you know, he was going to stop the left with a union of all moderates. And one of the so-called moderate parties he drew on was the uh, MSI. So basically Berlusconi just just uh, totally, uh, and even today, actually boasts about the fact that he kind of really helped legitimize them and bring them into government. Yeah, I, like actually a, a perfect transition to something I wanted to, to touch base about is how does, I mean, we mentioned Silvio Berlusconi on this show way too much just as a character, but how does then exactly that, how 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 does Berlusconi kind of come about from this this you know coalition of yeah this coalition of moderates as you mentioned into the sense of then creating i believe it was 2012 also that then fratelli d'italia breaks off for the european elections if i'm not mistaken not for italian federal elections no i mean i could be wrong about i mean the reason they break away isn't like specifically linked to elections but in fact they run for the so they they actually ran for the first time in the 2013 italian election so they start in december 2012 and then there's february uh, 2013 um, Italian general election. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I just I just like getting their like pamphlet, like coming, I mean, you know, whenever you get election stuff in the mail, you mm-hmm. get all the party stuff. Mm-hmm. And like that was one that then I remember being like, oh, like when I like first came to like, I was like, oh, there's a party that's like literally just called Brothers of Italy. This is weird. Like this yeah. is very fascist overtones. <laughs> like what's this all about? And then like the little bit of research is that then it is, is like this breakaway from Berlusconi. So like how does, I mean, maybe he doesn't play into this at all, but how is then there this this um, kind of, you know, um, uh, I guess kind of like commonly accepted conservatism of say then yeah like like you mentioned that there are these like kind of like neocons in their midst as well um how does then this kind of come about from then the party that then from you know the the breakaway of msi into then this this creation of a like berlusconi super big 10 conservatism movement into then once again where we are kind of now where then italy's right is not like completely fractured but there are kind of different movements that then we're seeing, like Fratelli d'Italia, Lega being obviously one of the one of the biggest ones of of recent, with Matteo Salvini taking up a lot of headlines over the last like five or six years, mm-hmm. and then Berlusconi obviously still, of course, being a a big figurehead in the Italian right movement, regardless of how many scandals he's had <laughs> inside or outside of Italy. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, how do we kind of like get from this sense of of big tentism? conservatism to then once again a fractured right who's like still wanting to work together with one another like it's pretty clear that this is going to be a coalition that will form mm-hmm. uh, in the coming weeks yeah i mean the thing is it's like as i, I mean i said in my uh, guardian article recently the thing is it's like this is kind of a radicalization of something we've already seen before which is you know the berlusconi coalition he created in 1994 which is forza italia his party the lega which is a northern regionalist party but which has gone through phases of being more or less kind of all Italian nationalist. Uh, and then the post-fascist party, which used to be MSI in the 1990s and 2000s, was called Alianza Nazionale. Then it directly merged with Berlusconi's party to form a single party. Then they split again, and Fratelli d'Italia is the, is the result. So the thing is, it's like Fratelli d'Italia has risen from a very small base. Like in 2013, it got 2%, 2018, 4%, this time 26%. 
but then like already in the 90s like often like Alianza Nacionales was then called would often get you know like 12 15 percent so it's you know it's not come from nowhere and, and also really the important thing is like the barriers between those parties are very fluid like um you know those parties have with some exceptions run together in a large majority of elections since the early 1990s and what we have generally seen is that while Berlusconi, uh, his party was the dominant force, particularly in the in the two thousands. Um, first, like that is was this being Forza or or yeah, which Forza, party yeah, it is at that time? Forza. Yeah, okay. So, um, and actually, like you know, even in terms of their total vote numbers and stuff, are lower now than they were then. <clears throat> but um, I mean, the thing is, is Berlusconi's leadership was like, uh, although it wasn't affected by a lot of the scandals. I mean, and um, you know the the criminal cases against him is uh, uh, <laughs> uh, you know MPs and senators who would, had ties to mafiosi and criminal convictions and so on. Uh, the fact that Berlusconi himself like praised Mussolini and whatever. I mean, because also today, I mean, often he's portrayed as this kind of cuddly, moderate, pro-European. He's like, whereas really it's, it was him who who allowed the far right into government for the first time. Um, but, I mean, he has basically suffered a, a series of defeats since the time of the uh, 2008 crisis. So, like the, last, the previous time these gov- uh, parties were all in government together was 2008 until 2011, uh, and then the government was basically brought down partly under the pressure of the European Central Bank uh, and Mario Draghi. Um, it was you know, brought down in in, uh, in the end of 2011, <clears throat> and then. Um, Berlusconi's party, Forza Italia, supported like a technocratic cabinet uh, led by Mario Monti, who was a former European commissioner, uh, together with the centre-left. Uh, and then uh, in 2013, he got, was actually the first time he was ever like, got like a definitive conviction. Because like in Italy, if you're like pronounced guilty by a court, you can still like appeal loads of times, go to different courts and so on. It was 2013, he got a tax fraud conviction when he was banned from public oh work. damn wow <laughs> it, like like that's it the ta- like tax fraud is the thing that got him <laughs> well, it's like, you um, know taken down al capone uh al capone and silvio <laughs> berlusconi you know just you know the, the the truest of italian crime because i mean one of the one of the slightly strange dynamics at the moment is that when Meloni's trying to form her government like it's quite hard for her to like find um you know she's trying to draw on like uh, ministers and like some of them are like kind of technocrats but some of them are kind of people who have like washed up again, who are like people who were in Berlusconi's like previous government, and some of whom are like very like kind of disreputable. And like, you, know, you have to remember all of these people, I mean, like <laughs> all of these people, including Milani herself, publicly pretended to believe that the child prostitute with whom Berlusconi slept was in fact the niece of the Egyptian dictator uh, Hosni Mubarak, and that. He, like, wait, wait, why? <laughs> wait, uh, yeah. So, so, yeah, so like, I mean, so she's called, so maybe in the Italian press, she's called like, um, she's called like, um, she's called like, um, Ru- like the, the translation of her name that they give her would be like, um, like Ruby Heart Stealer. And she was like, a, she, she was like a 17 year old and she, oh and God. like Berlusconi paid her for sex. And then, yeah, I remember. I remember the story. I, I, 
just is the the, the Mubarak connection is the thing that's, that's just yeah. ridiculous. Basically, she was arrested, and then Berlusconi intervened personally to get her released. And then the the tweet yeah. for that was that it was a um, that it was a um, diplomatic incident because she was the niece of um, Mubarak. But I mean, she's not even Egyptian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just oh gosh, that's she was sufficiently Arab for the story to fly for like several weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah oh god uh, italy's italy's uh yeah i was it's always <laughs> like the sense of that then whenever i like uh, i mean yeah it's, it's it's always like those examples of trying to explain to like people who don't live in europe it's like oh yeah like what's racism in europe like it's like well, uh, <laughs> don't even don't even start <laughs> yeah uh, all of italian media apparently believed for then a minute that uh that a underage girl that Silvio Berlusconi slept with is connected to the former dictator of Egypt. All right. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. No. So I, th- I think the thing is, it's like, you know, after Berlusconi's was basically the fact that firstly, the fact that he'd supported a technocratic cabinet, which had itself replaced the last right wing government. Yeah. But that undermines his legitimacy on the right. Like, you know, the government failed and he basically like capitulated, like supported like technocrats. And so this kind of set in motion a sort of struggle for the leadership of, of the right. Uh, Fratelli d'Italia quit the Berlusconi's party at the end of 2012, uh, but for a long time the Lega was very much the like dominant and indeed rising force. So like throughout like the like mid 2010s and up to the point where Salvini was uh, interior minister in 2018-19, the Lega grew very quickly. The Lega grew from like four percent to more than thirty percent in like five years. And Fratelli d'Italia remains a very junior partner. Uh, but basically, Salvini, the last three years, has made a series of very bad missteps. Like, he brought down his uh, own government, uh, but without managing to, to force new elections. Uh, then, of course, more recently, he supported the, the draggy government, like the National Unity government, including the centre-left. So Milani had the opportunity to be, like, the only opposition force and to become the leader of the right-wing camp. Precisely, and you know, the, the phrase she uses, which is also interesting in terms of her like family politics, is she says that she is monogamous in matters of political alliances. She's like, I would only ever ally with right wing parties. I would never make deals like sort of across the political spectrum. Uh, and so, you know, that's uh, allied to a certain like frustration over recent governments and stuff. She was able to like become the leader of the, the sort of general right wing camp. Of course, it's like far from guaranteed that this is going to last because you know we've seen before like these right wing voters are very fickle and switch between parties very quickly. Actually, most of Fratelli d'Italia's voters voted for the Lega in the previous uh, uh, European and general elections. Uh, yeah, actually, the uh, like perfect uh, thing that I wanted to also ask about as well was how does then or how did then the you know, previous, more or less just kind of appointed from Brussels government of Draghi play into then this, um, like, because the thing that I think is always kind of interesting in Italy is exactly what you described, that then, like, the Italian right always kind of seems in shambles, but yet they're always, like, still always pretty powerful. So is this just then a temporary moment of that then... Fratelli d'Italia just like wasn't a big enough player during the last coalition agreement, which was, you know, what 
2020, 2021. I can't even, I can't even last, remember. Last year the, the, the okay. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was 2021 then. And, um, you know, that this massive political crisis that then happened, we have then literally the most like kind of stereotypical, you know, Brussels bubble answer is like, why don't we just put the guy who quote unquote saved the Euro with like, you know, his action catchphrase that I forgot what, what it was that he said again. We'll do whatever it takes. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Who like literally had a one liner and then every like Brussels nerd loves um yeah come in then you know take the reins for a year during a, a a very turbulent time of italy just you know with you know covid and the current you know uh, uh <laughs> you know energy crisis i don't people have i've probably seen plenty of videos of of uh not just like protests but like italians going on the streets just like burning their energy bills and being like yeah, i'm not paying this like in like relatively larger groups um it it like i mean like these people may be on the right. Like I never know with this type of stuff of seeing that then like these type of reactions from people, a lot of the times are like small business owners, but nonetheless is that then like, is it simply just the legitimization of that? Her party just simply wasn't like as supportive of the center or is there something a little bit more long like do her politics actually like attract people or is it just the right just finding the most purest thing for a time being and then come a few years few months later you know it could all reshuffle again and we could have you know salvini like lega could be still back at a comfortable you know 14 percent like they were previously or is this like is is maloney's like politics but the italia's politics is this a longer trend that we're going to be seeing uh in italy i mean obviously we can't predict the future because mm-hmm. that's silly but mm-hmm. just simply in the sense of i think like lo- like leading up to this election like what was then the driving reason for what brought so many people into such a tiny party because mm-hmm. to me that's what it always looked like is that the hers just says like seemed like the legit right-wing movement salvini like kind of gambled with the sense of like, I don't think that he wanted to be an opposition person in 2021 during Corona and everything. It would have, and especially he has like multiple cases against him right now. Yes. Like, is there like, is this just someone like him buying time or is there more to this or is it just, you know, Italian politics being Italian politics? And well, I think, okay. So I think, I think it's both kind of a long-term structural trend and also there's kind of some like superficial kind of marketing as like, so, you know, the idea of being like the outsider and stuff is also important in the sense that like, uh, if you look at like, you know, it's kind of a bit like, uh, it's, you know, because people love to say this thing like, oh yeah, like Italy's had, you know, however many, like 70 governments since World War II, so it's like always chaotic and stuff. But like actually up until the early 90s, the voters were like very loyal to the parties, you know, like even from election to election, like Christian Democrats and communists, the two main parties, their like votes were like very stable, like they just evolved like a couple of percent each time. Whereas now we have this like very um, impressive like churn where like you know parties can like double or half their vote from one election to the next. And like I think because Italy like the last thirty years, if you think like well you know like say particularly from like the end of the nineties until now, like GDP is uh, has um, very slightly declined. So like, even before the pandemic. Italian GDP was lower than 20 years before. 
and then also things like Italy is like the only country in Europe where like wages are lower than before. But like, it's not just workers. It's like there's a kind of general sense of like stagnation and impasse economically as well. So like, I think also for that reason, and because there's all these like corruption cases and so on that have happened before, like there's this kind of like uh, the idea of like the outsider is very strong and actually mobilized by almost all rising like by anyone who wants to win, no matter what their political coloration. So I think like a good example in that sense is like, firstly, like Matteo Renzi, when he was the Democrat leader in the mid 2010s, someone who like models himself like a bit on like Tony Blair or like uh, Emmanuel Macron, this kind of like, you know, hyper centrist, but nonetheless does this big thing of like, oh, I'm like nothing like what's come before. And I'm like against all bureaucracies and against all forms of like, conservatism uh and, and even like mario draghi more recently again you have this idea which is like the 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 technocrat but who's like the figure who comes outside of like politics the the guy who's like you know just like gonna you know take this like hyper like centralized executive role you know super mario uh this kind of stuff um so i think like you know the idea of like the, the idea of the outsider who's not been tested and who will come in and shake things up is uh, something which like almost any political force would, would needs in order to market itself. So in that sense, it's natural that, that Milani um, also uses this a lot. I mean, you know, hers was the only party that wasn't in Draghi's government. Um, but then it's also a little contradictory because uh, she kind of, the fact she wasn't, the fact she was the only real like opposition in parliament allowed her both to like, viciously attack the parties in the government while also like kind of avoiding criticizing Draghi personally uh, and in fact like insisting that she continue with a lot of his agenda but remaining kind of very vague what she meant which allowed like anyone to like project what they like onto her. Um, I think compared actually to the Lega and the Five Star Movement the sort of big uh, upsurge of the 2010s you know very eclectic uh, party politically like ideologically like compared to them, um, Meloni is much more straightforwardly right wing rather than trying to mobilize a kind of transversal populism. Uh, but then what's a little strange, and we've seen it also, of course, with Trump and even to a certain degree with the British Tories now, is that even very mainstream conservative forces actually confect around themselves this idea of like outsiderishness of rebelling against the like dominant, uh, you know, like the all powerful left, which runs all international institutions and runs the economy and so on. So, like, for example, when uh, Melanie spoke at the, the US uh, Conservative Conference, uh, CPAC, earlier in 2022, she said, like, Oh, I don't want to be mainstream, I want to be like with the people in the streets, not in power with you, like lefties. Um, so I think, like, part of part of um, um, part of right-wing party's identity in general has been to sort of uh, somewhat abandon their their sort of like more kind of like institutional and sort of proper uh, image and, and to and to like confect a, a quite shallow um, kind of like outsiderish rhetoric around themselves even when actually they're not really mobilizing a very transversal electorate they're not really appealing to people on the left it's just a way of like rallying their own base uh, behind themselves. Yeah, I think that 
at, at least to me, the thing that kind of encapsulated all of that was uh, the speech that she gave, like the day after the elections, that had a lot of dog whistles in it, at least uh, to you know me, and um, really, I yeah, I think uh, again, this is just my opinion of. I mean, people obviously could read into it differently, but it really kind of gave this very stereotypical uh right wing you know um like not just like the contemporary right wing stuff but like the more like you know whistle blo- like not whistle uh, dog whistling about like the globalists and you know tradition and being a oh. italian and that then you know gender and this and that and that um how much then of like kind of the recent new internet right stuff has also then like like influenced cuz it's it's it isn't just like this old you know, stereotypical, like, you know, whatever, whatever you associate against with, 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 with fascism, you know, like explicit anti-Semitism isn't something that like we see necessarily as much anymore. There's new words for it. Uh, there's a new method of talking. She obviously clearly is a little bit online enough to know that then like gender is a big politic that then that these people care about, but then probably never actually interact with. Like how much of that then um, has also then influenced her to kind of give this you like you mentioned like this kind of like outsider boots on the ground right wing populist sort of energy and how much of that is then also just like pandering simply like at the end of the day like what's maloney's like actually like what's her government like what is she already kind of attempting to do uh mm-hmm. what could this potentially look like for italy um again yeah without projecting too much into you know you know uh, uh looking at our crystal ball and trying to make predictions but just simply of seeing that then like how she's you know like 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 you mentioned that then that she could have been the, the she was the opposition simply in the sense of because it was an opportunity for her to to you know critique the government and not necessarily point at draghi but at the end of the day is like how much of this is just going to be then you know like the thing that that I always find that's really funny with these right wing movements is that they end up kind of reinforcing all these elements of capital pretty well. You know, I think that there was like the retirement thing was one of the first things that she's like trying to get rid of the like 500 euros a month. If I read correctly, like not very like working class policies at the end of the day. No, so, no, um, no I mean, the, the thing is, is um, the, the idea, like the idea that um, yeah, Italy is a country where the like working class left vote, broke down a long time ago and like doesn't exist now and you know she you know probably half of of, of people who you know let's say very roughly like half of people who we could broadly describe as working class probably don't vote then of those that do uh they you know probably more pitch to the to the right than to the what passes for the italian left although with certain pockets where there is a link between like social policy and, and the left uh, particularly like or, or let's say uh, not really the left. I mean, like say, un, um, there's a strong vote among unemployed people, for instance, for the Five Star Movement, which is the party that most staunchly defends unemployment benefits, and the, which is the policy you mentioned. Um, I mean, you know, Fratelli Italia is a party that advocates job creation through tax cuts for businesses who employ workers. That advocates job. Hell creation. yeah! So, All right, baby. So I think <laughs> that same. Yeah, I mean, like they call themselves the social right, 
and the media often still do yeah. because they're in the tradition of the Movimento Sociale Italiano, the MSI, the neo-fascist party. But there's very little like really like social about their policy in that sense. And you know, they mobilize working class votes on you know, or you know, it's, they mobilize a certain section of the working class and one which also we've seen votes for the Lega before, uh, and which actually probably historically, like you know, not, you know, there's always been a certain right wing working class vote. Also, because you know, mm-hmm. workers who work in small businesses uh, are, in general, uh, much less politicised around labour issues than ones who exist, who work in you know, um, either work in um, larger enterprises, which are more likely to be unionised, or ones who you know historically you might imagine you know, people have experienced the resistance and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I think she doesn't appeal to working class people through a specifically like kind of welfareist offer, even of a kind of welfare, uh, welfare chauvinist type, uh, in the sense of like, it's not just like that she's offering discriminatory or limited, you know, benefits, but that broadly she isn't, you know, it's, it's an ex- is it, they actually boast of being the only party that consistently voted against having any unemployment benefits at all. Um, the the wider question was about the the um oh just in the sense of uh kind of how her i mean her appeal obviously of being an opposition like well the only opposition leader i guess mm-hmm. or member of opposition uh in fratelli d'italia but then also huh you said what, what are they gonna do or like what would it be like oh uh yeah, well, also in the sense, too, of, like, how then the, like, how much is, like, this modern online right oh, rhetoric yeah, yeah. also kind of benefited, uh, yeah, like, because in her speech she talks about, you know, tradition, but also, but tradition in, like, a very, you know, gender normative sort of mm-hmm. sense well, that then I don't think has been at the forefront of Italian politics at all. If like I mean, it's not really a debate that I've heard mentioned before. I mean, like it, this is, I guess, a trend too in Germany as well. Like we see people like Friedrich Merz coming out and being like, "Oh, gender, don't do that." Like Europe is late to all these things. But then seeing that, then that that kind of be one of the staples of a, you know, recently, you know, the next possible prime minister of a country. That then that that's one of the things of tradition, and the Italian way and you know I'm not afraid of being an Italian woman this and that like very like identitarian points mm-hmm. of the right like that seems to be the appeal to then I think a lot of people who then I mean vote right wing uh, in the US too you know like a lot of the people who like Trump supporters complain about this like did this actually have a play in the Italian elections or is this just her kind of showing that then that she's part of this global right movement that cares mm-hmm. about you know, even Putin mentioned this yesterday. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, excuse me. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, like, you know, of course, it's not like, um, in, okay. so I think, I think one thing I'd say is that one way which Fratelli d'Italia really is still bound to the past, and which we don't talk about enough, in, at least in my view as a historian, is that Fratelli d'Italia actually love to talk about World War II, they do it all the time. Like they want, they want to both say like, you know, fascism is in the past, but actually also like uh, communist partisans kill those of innocent people. So actually, the resistance wasn't good. But the way that they're fascist, also, or sorry, the way that they're like post-fascist and bound to to that tradition isn't only like a sort of residue or inheritance, but as you rightly say, 
also because of their interaction with like modern and new uh, fascist uh, ideas. And one of them is the so-called plan for uh, ethnic substitution. So like Melania, ah uh, yeah, she's a she's a she's a great replacement uh, person. I completely yeah, forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah so like, uh, I mean, I had an absolutely surreal uh, debate on. I was on this Italian TV show, and like you know, I said that she that Melania has you know repeatedly defended great replacement theory, and then this journalist from this like absurd shit newspaper called uh, Libero, which is like, uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like the Sun. And the Daily Mail combined, uh, you know, he, he basically treated me like, oh, yeah, you stupid, like, American journalist, what do you know? Of course, she never said that. There's actually, like, loads of examples, like, dozens of Melanie uh, <laughs> talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, what do you know about the tried and true European tradition of you know, <laughs> you know, very uh, 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 lightly disguised anti-Semitism? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's like, you know, it's like, oh, it's not proper anti-Semitism unless it comes from, you know, Mussolini's hometown or whatever. Because like um, <laughs> the thing is, it's like okay, so it's like I mean, I, I kind of I, I I hesitate to make this comparison because it's like you know, really the parties are very different and and and, and you know, but like okay, imagine if Jeremy Corbyn had said that George Soros has a secret plan to replace like the you know like the population of Britain with Africans and Muslims. Well, then Jeremy Corbyn would be probably like the president of Hungary right now. So, <laughs> so okay, but sorry, actually, the, the reason the comparison, actually, I, I want to, if you if we can like redo that, I'd probably phrase it differently. I mean, I, sorry, my point really is just like, if you think like how keen like the British right-wing media were to find oh, yeah, they would, of individuals of course. from the Labour Party and to yeah. look for kind of like connotations, like, Oh, if Jeremy Corbyn mm. talks about private schools, then really he's talking about elites, which means he's talking about Jews. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is there is a massive double standard on that one, of course. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, joking. I mean, Viktor Orban literally ran his campaign about that he's going to be the guy against uh, George Soros. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I, yeah, hundred percent. If Jeremy Corbyn mentioned, if if Jeremy Corbyn even mentioned George Soros's name, there would be, you know, nonstop. <clears throat> bombardment of you know anti-semitism allegations against him of course, and like, you know, oh you know jeremy corbyn friend of hamas you know yeah. this and the, like whatever bullshit they just continuously throw at him all the time yeah i mean there is there is a yeah because like, i mean it george, is, it is a massive george milani called george soros a usurer oh yeah. my god <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> she's not even hiding no so, so and okay, so but also we have this kind of thing like in the speech you mentioned, which I think actually was maybe from uh, a couple of years ago, but was widely circulated after the election. I'm not sure it was actually new, mm-hmm. but like it's like the the thing where she says kind of, this kind of idea, which is like basically the combination of like left wing identity politics and then like capital, which like uproots the population, destroys civilization because it just turns us all into like atomized individuals with no roots of like nature and the natural family and this kind of thing. Um, you know, the, we can find like, you know, there's lots of um, pre-internet era examples of this within the tradition of Alianza Nazionale, for example, in the early 2000s as well, like um, um, Giorgio Morani was always like opposed to like, uh, you know, opposed to like con- like the, the, the contraceptive pill. Uh, and this kind of stuff. So this is kind of defense of this like very backward looking idea of like 
um, like sexual morality and, and the family. Uh, but it's, it's very clear, of course, that, that she has taken on board a lot of themes which come from sort of not specific, you know, come, come from parts of the international right which don't have the same genealogy from fascism. Uh, but then I think what's precisely what's interesting is like there's this kind of like wishful thinking on you know the sort of centrist media in Italy, which is like, oh yeah, to fully legitimize herself, she needs to like, you know, embrace liberal values, break with the fascist path more fully, and this kind of thing. And actually, she just just really doesn't because where the where the right is at internationally now, you know, she can be very popular without doing those things. So why would she? Like, you know, <laughs> they won the election, so, you know, they don't really need to do that. I think it, it's like telling of a general breakdown of the barriers between centre and far right that all these idiots like, you know, Piers Morgan or Alison Pearson of the Telegraph can just say, well, of course she's not a fascist because I agree with everything she says. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, though, um, that was actually something that then I was kind of thinking about as well, too, is that because everyone loves to point as like Trump being the moment of that, then you can have this kind of mask off version of, you know, right wing populism, populism, whatever you want to call the term. But Italy's had like this a bit longer, I think, than other countries have. I mean, like we met, you mentioned earlier that then Berlusconi would just like openly say a lot of the stuff that then that um, Melania is saying. But it was like this, this this method of doing politics also isn't like anything new for this country. Like, like this is like, she is in a lot of ways, just kind of like the old, right. No, like just a new packaging in many regards. I mean, I know that then it may just be like repeating everything that we've been saying for the past, you know, 40 minutes, but mm -hmm. that's all like the kind of vibe that I just get from her at the end of the day. Is it like, there's like, like, this discussion of like new right, old right, whatever, like for a country like Italy doesn't like kind of really matter all that much because this has been kind of a norm of how the Italian right has been able to function. Like, you know, regardless of like, you know, whether she has a different name for anti-Semitism now or not, like, you know, this has been like Berlusconi has made, you know, plenty of also similarly atrociously anti-Semitic comments uh, mm -hmm. along the lines of, you know, similar type of stuff longer than I would say have been in vogue in like, you know, the U S this has always been kind of like the Soros conspiracy has been a part of the right for 20, 30 years, but people like, you know, the further right of the Republican party and Donald Trump were then like the ones to kind of, you know, materialize this into like an electable politician where this person's existed in Italy for like, you know, decades. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with the premise of the question. I mean, it's it's not that. I mean, it, it's it builds on and continues something that's been around for like thirty years. But then I think yeah. that the, 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 that's. I mean, why? I, obviously, okay, obviously, as a historian of Italy, I'm like almost bound to say, like, well, Italy is this like laboratory which like tells us everything about the world. But like, it kind of is true that the end of the the combination in Italy of like the end of the Cold War, the destruction of the previous political parties. And then the creation of new ones in the early 1990s uh, really is a good way of understanding our present time and its politics, precisely because like the parties are so like shallow, have such shallow uh, bases in societies and are so volatile that they tend to kind of immediately reflect sort of the phenomena and ideology of the moment rather than be sort of like built up through like layers of, of, of tradition and, and, and so on. Um, so, I mean, I think it's, 
uh, you know, what's different from the 1990s is basically like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, oh, well, you know, the uh, Alianza Nazionale MSI tradition is like fascist and then Berlusconi is like anti-fascist. Like, you know, when he was prime minister, uh, the first time in 1994, 1995, uh, and then from 2001 to 2006, uh, he didn't attend a single event to commemorate the World War II resistance, which is like one of the very like foundations of like the Italian constitution and its democracy. He just like totally like boycotted and ridiculed it uh, because you know he <laughs> there was nothing you know there was no there was no it, it no longer made sense in the political culture of the right to still feel like conditioned by that in the way that even relatively right-wing elements of Christian democracy might have been in previous decades. I think that the link with America, uh, and I just say this as well, is, is interesting because often when we write articles about Italy for Jacobin and, you know, like the U.S. and like left-wing readership, very often the kind of comments and tweets and stuff, people kind of really immediately want to say like, well, yeah, like what about Operation Gladio? What about the United States who like tried to bring like fascists to power in like post-war Italy to stop the like communists winning? Uh, and it's true that uh, the United States and its you know, and the CIA uh, did um, collaborate with some uh, groups and initiatives and created like stay-behind networks and so on. So like you know they prepared in order to prevent uh, the communists coming to power in Italy. That is true, but then. When you actually look at the MSI and the way it saw itself in like the 60s and 70s, they like greatly um, overestimated the desire of like a series of US governments and even of the Republican Party to like intervene on their behalf to like bring them to power, which like, you know, in the context of like Christian dem democracy being really strong, uh, Italy had very strong uh, post-war growth. Uh, so even though it had like very high social conflict, Actually, like Christian Democrats, they didn't like need, you know, they didn't need the MSI to like take power in order to crush the communists. And of course, you know, it, the Chile type situation uh, didn't play out. So you actually see, like, even when at, at the level of like electoral politics, rather than like you know, the secret services and so on, like when like the MSI tried to make contacts with people like say Barry Goldwater, you know, like the like very Arizona native baby, hell yeah, woo! Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, yeah, Hillary Clinton uh, supported him at the time, of course, as well. Uh, but yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, like, so, so even someone like that, right, who was like you know, very like explicitly like a white supremacist, supremacist, and so on. Like when the MSI tried to like contact him, he was just like, "Well, why? You know, what does this relationship actually bring me?" And he just ignored them, you know. Yeah. Or like, you know, the MSI, yeah. they, like campa they campaigned for Richard Nixon in 1968, like among Italian-Americans, like sending them propaganda and stuff. But his administration, they didn't like, you know, they weren't interested in like forming a, like, if you look at the, like, so what I'm trying to say really is like, I don't deny like the, 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 the um, contacts of like secret services with like fascist terrorists and things, actually a lot of them weren't even in the MSI. But like, my point is like, if you look at the way that like CPAC and Trump relate to like Milani, it's different. Like the, yeah. they openly embraced them in a way that wasn't true then because, you know, at that time for them to openly have done so 
would have just been like explosive, whereas now it isn't because they just have become more a normal part of the political landscape. And actually, I think it's kind of funny. It's like in Italy, you often have like media being like, oh, well, you know, how can you say that Milani is extremist when she took part in CPAC, like the, the, co- you know, the conference, which is run by people who come from like the biggest right wing uh, party in the biggest uh, economy in the world, you know, like, yeah, he's at CPAC, right? It's like, yeah, but like CPAC also has like Marjorie Taylor Greene, like who literally like claims that there's like a Satanist, beautiful elite who meet in a pizza restaurant. So like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, like like CPAC has definitely become wild in the last, I would say, probably. I mean, they were always weird, like <laughs> like you know, don't get me wrong, but the amount of like pandering to the conspiratorial right of like the last. I don't know, since like Trump became their guy, because CPAC also like before Trump was like that core of like, like not like never Trump dem- like Republicans, but they mm-hmm. were like the I, the the smartest business move for the American conservatives was to mm-hmm. just accept that this is the right because they are like a nonstop ecosystem of this type of pol- yeah like I mean yeah like why wouldn't then she get on board with the, you know, internationalist, right? It's like largest event, you know, mm-hmm. like they kind of, the moment of accepting that this is what the right wing movement is now was CPAC's like, like, yeah, like they couldn't like, after seeing every person who became like never Trump, you know, Ted Cruz, Ben Shapiro, all them, mm-hmm. like their careers just disappeared mm-hmm. or either they just like went away or they, hopped on board ted cruz is now a trump supporter even like lindsey graham is like quasi you know i mean like there is no Mm -hmm. other game in town for the international right than this version of right-wing populism and why not you know like victor orban spoke there um you know obviously maloney spoke there like it is uh it's it's like the game in town you know and i think it is very interesting that then that this is something that then that she maybe just because she is younger as well too that then sees the opportunity of of you know regardless of if she is going to be in politics or not for a while she will be someone that then like the international right like will remember for a very long time you know she'll probably do speaking tours in the U.S. like who knows you know mm-hmm. like her uh like her. Uh, acceptance of 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 this I guess like it's a mutual agreement right of that they know that they can keep themselves changing policies for a much longer time now than just being like the oh we're the professionalized conservatives because that conservatism has got really boring you know mm-hmm. i just googled it and santiago Pascal from vox also yeah. went to washington to listen to trump talk in yeah, yeah it's in it is the it's the event yeah. it's the event of the year for like the international right huge you could like also like oh sorry (laughs) no i mean if i just give another example of like i mean i think the problem is it's like there's this kind of idea which is like um the that it would be possible to kind of um expose the the right for being like extremist and then they would be forced to like somehow like you know like purge themselves or like get rid of people or whatever i think like a really good example of um yeah, so I think there's this idea which is like, oh yeah, like the right has these extremist elements, and then like centrists will like point out that they're like dangerous and, and, and liars and so on. And then they'll be forced to like shed the more extreme elements and go back to normal again. I think they just like really doesn't understand how 
politics works and how like you know the kind of like um let's say the kind of like um the, the groups who are the the folks of the and how like the um you know those parties how they build their own like sense of like you know who's the leader who's standing up for their side and so on like there's they're not going to be like kind of like um bullied into uh, like apologizing for the more extremist elements, particularly because, like, as in the case of like, oh, like, you know, so so and so is like linked to, to fascism. You know, that's just been, you know, that's like uh, uh, been a strategy which hasn't been effective for some time. Because in the Italian right, you know, they they often, uh, you know, they they just done made the same alliance so many times. In fact, like even in um, in some of the elections in the two thousands, they actually included even more openly neo fascist groups. Uh, in the in the general right wing coalition, um, I think like a good example of like why this why this stuff is no longer effective is like um, so there's a guy called Karolov Fidanza, and he was the uh, he in a way still is the uh, Fratelli d'Italia leader in the European Parliament, and um, he's like someone who's always been close to Milani, probably like uh, I would say personal friends. Uh, and in uh, October last year, there was like a hour-long, uh, three-hour-long documentary uh, about his ties to a neo-Nazi in Milan. Um, and you know, we see them on camera together, like fascist saluting, saying "Heil Hitler," uh, telling anti-Semitic jokes. Um, in the video, it, it at least uh, appears as if both of them are involved in a um, money laundering scheme. And like, you know, it, it's like very clear who, who this who Fidanza is and who he hangs around with. Uh, and so it was like a big thing, like, oh, like exposing, you know, this guy hangs around with neo-Nazis. And, you know, of course, it's someone who himself comes from a fascist past. And then he announced that he was uh, going to suspend himself from his role in the European Parliament in order to kind of quieten the issue. Uh, Milani said, like, oh, like, we shouldn't chase him out of the party. We should, like, educate him. And, like, oh, yeah, he fucked up. Like, haha, what a stupid thing to do. So then, like, one month later, Fidanza, who had supposedly withdrawn from his position, uh, he turned up in Miami together with uh, Herman Turch, who's, like, uh, an EP oh for God, Vox yeah. in Spain. Yeah, uh, and also with like a member of the Spanish Congress from Vox, and mm -hmm. they went to like rally support for the protests in Cuba against the government. And while they were there, they met with Jeanette Nunez, who's the uh, deputy governor of, uh, of Florida. And yeah. according to the party's own website, uh, they spoke at a conference together with Ron DeSantis. Hell yeah! And Woo! And they actually uh, planned to travel uh, to Havana to take part in the protests, which would have been uh, quite a sight to see. But unfortunately, they couldn't get their visas sorted out. Uh, so oh, damn. But yeah, I mean, just would like to say, like, you know, it's like, you know, maybe like, so it's like in the very moment that he's like shamed and like vanished from public life for a few weeks, he's in fact also just like nurturing the relations with the Republican Party. Uh, and then, you know, basically just like a few weeks later, he just continued his work in the European Parliament as if like nothing happened. So I think the thing is, it's like, yeah, like Fratelli d'Italia, a party like that, they're very strong and like defending their own. And when basically when they come under attack from the left, they just say, well, fuck you, you know, like we don't care. Um, so, so yeah, so I think like the, the kind of idea of kind of conditioning them 
to make them in to force them to like moderate themselves and stuff is a bit illusory and that what we instead had in this campaign was the more likely it appeared that Melania was bound to win, the more the international press announced that she had moderated herself. But like, how? You know, like it's, you know, it's, you know the, the real change took place in the 1990s. Not, it's not new. Like, you know, they don't, you know, they're basically an electoral and constitutional party. And that's the big difference from the past. The ideas are still heavily influenced by fascism, includes uh, racist conspiracy theorizing. Yeah. Um, there was just, I, I, this is kind of going back to the last thing, just one thing that then I wanted to touch on before we close the discussion is that then I really like, I've been reflecting on your comment about Gladio, which I just think is really funny that then one, because we do a series about Gladio uh, in conjunction with Pod Name America, but I am always as like, I agree with you then in the, in the, in the, the concept that then I think leftists just love the conspiracy of it too much, that there is this like global, like cabal of the United States, just like at any moment could have just like, you know, created all of Europe into like a NATO back dictatorship. And that's the thing I think is really funny is that we saw it happen with Greece and it failed miserably. So like there is like, I, I, I think that then the, like the thing that makes Italy's politics like after the years of lead so interesting is exactly the thing that you mentioned is that then like, yeah, Gladio existed and may still exist, you know, with maybe not Gladio itself, but you know, the connections between the, the, um, you know, American clandestine, uh, services and then that of, of, you know, Europe's are probably, you know, very much still intertwined. Um, but, anti-communism is already like widespread enough that there's like not like like there's no there's no reason to you know (laughs) like there's like like the 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 hilarity of 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 that leftists kind of use this one blip of of truth you know like this stuff like definitely is is uh 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 did happen it is definitely one of the weirdest moments of the post-war of seeing how the u.s is like oh we just defeated nazism by the way, we're going to like secretly help, you know, keep it together. But I also think we just like let our imagination just get like a little bit too wild in that regard. I don't know. I guess I'm like speaking for like other leftists like myself who like they like the conspiracy theory. And until like you look at it in like actual like it actually functioning and you're like, this could have never worked. Like Operation Gladio would have been a fucking like an absolutely miserable like like how are you going to install a military dictatorship in all these countries like yeah. it's just not worth it yeah i think it doesn't i think it, the problem with, with the i mean of course it's true that uh lots of networks and activists did prepare themselves for this eventuality but it, it's wrong to like grant them a kind of all powerful or determining influence yeah one of the one of the networks from which uh, many like of the kind of fascist terrorists of the 1970s and late 60s took their inspiration was the French uh, OAS, right? So it's like a f- group of French yep. officers, a very you know very extensive and uh, violent conspiracy involving uh, thousands of people, which uh, carried out terrorist attacks even against French troops in order to keep the war going in Algeria, and which had a big effect on the development of the international like armed anti-communist right but then at the same time they didn't actually succeed right so like you know yeah. <laughs> so so i mean with the italian case it's like you know there were lots of uh, plots and organizations and you can say that of course they they represented you know 
even without uh, needing to actually seize power, of course, they represented sort of part of people's um, consciousness and fears. And of course, particularly after the coup in uh, Chile in 1973, the idea of a kind of external limit on uh, democracy was like, greatly uh, strengthened. But then I think like you also have to reckon with the fact that like you know in the you know in the um, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, Italy was like a society that had um, very um, you know like a very great and strong democratic participation, mass parties where where forces like the Christian Democrats and socialists were also made, able to make very important. Uh, concessions to uh, the working class, very important uh, gains in terms of things like civil liberties as well. So you know, those kind of things also you know, need to be taken into account because like the MSI's idea was like to basically to keep Italy stuck in the 1940s and that was like, very uh, unattractive to most Italians. I mean, there actually was an attempt to form a government in 1960 uh, a Christian Democrat government, which was rely on the MSI's support in Parliament, and, and that happening actually produced an enormous social revolt, uh, large strike waves, very like, militant demonstrations and clashes with police, and so on. And that was actually the only time that the left like um, brought down the government by street mobilisation. And I think that actually really wounded the the idea of like relying on the MSI because it basically showed that like. If the Christian Democrats even tried to make a deal with them, then it would just like unleash like havoc. Um, so yeah, so I, I think like the you know there's a there's important change over over the over the generations in terms of like who you know, who these people are, what is the strength of the forces uh, against them, and so it's a, it's a mistake to just see like what's happening now as just a kind of pure reproduction of that of that period. Uh, even though, of course, you know, it's also uh, there is a, a strong uh, genealogy. I think that that's a good place to stop for mm-hmm. today. Just one last thing: you have, uh, you know, we've been talking about uh, Fratelli d'Italia, Meloni, for you know the last hour, and uh, coincidentally, you have a book coming out about the exact <laughs> topic. So uh, it's called Mussolini's Grandchildren, um, and if you could just, you know, give a little. You know, insider promo, uh, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, we will have obviously, of course, all the information as well in the description. But yeah. So tell us about your new book that's coming out. Well, so the book is called Mussolini's Grandchildren. Uh, it's partly about the actual grandchildren of Mussolini, some of whom uh, are indeed uh, still active in uh, right wing politics and including in Fratelli d'Italia. Uh, but really, it's about his spiritual grandchildren. So the way that it's, Italy talks about fascism now, uh, the uh, the MSI tradition, how that feeds into Fratelli d'Italia. Uh, so basically, retracing the the sort of genealogy of the uh, Italian uh, neo and post fascist traditions. And so it's kind of historical accounts. So it's both kind of you know, evidences the, the links, but also uh, discusses the kind of social changes and changes in the ways of doing politics. That tell us, you know, why we've arrived at the situation uh, we've we've had now. Uh, often people like to say, "Oh, is Trump a fascist or Bolsonaro or whatever?" But I think what's interesting in this case is precisely that there is that continuity. So it helps us kind of see how they have and haven't changed. And uh, it's out in March, and 
presumably uh, if you share a link, then uh, people can uh, pre-order it and they get a 20% discount if they write Broza, uh, my surname, so Broza20, the number 20. You heard that? Use the use the special promo code Broder twenty. <laughs> they should use the. Right. I, I generally abstain from pronouncing the word myself because it's kind of embarrassing to say Broder twenty when that's my own surname. <laughs> like yeah, I I I will do it once again uh, on like when we're done recording here. I will do it again when we uh, do the outro in my best YouTuber voice oh, no. that i possibly odd, can odd <laughs> so um once again thank you so much for coming on david uh it was an absolute pleasure learning about um yeah the the horrors of the italian <laughs> right and um yeah uh if you haven't already uh check david out at uh twitter what's your your at is broderly or broderly yeah. yeah that's right so broder ly broderly yeah yeah and of course, uh, check out um, you know Jacobin and all the other uh, you know you've been doing a lot of op eds lately that have been very good. So um, I would advise everyone just check him out. Just check it. Just check out. Like if you really, I mean, like I think that we covered a lot here, but you know, if you want more like in depth stuff about the recent elections, obviously David's work has been very good on this lately. Uh, kind of the only person I will listen to about Italian politics now is you. So uh, take that for what you will. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, thanks for having me on. Once again, thank you so much, David, for coming on. And uh, before we go, one more time for the promo code, uh, we will have the link for the pre-order for David's book and the promo, co- promo code being Broder20. Uh, I said that I was going to do this in my best YouTube voice, and I can't. I can't no, do that. No. Oh, go, again, go again. Go again. <laughs> Do you like Ray, do you like Ray Shadow Legends or whatever that fucking thing that they every single YouTuber no, no, promotes? No. Uh, what is it? The healthy food thingy? Uh, Hello Fresh. Hello Fresh. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah. Uh, what's up, guys? Do you guys like Italian fascism? Then do I have the promo code for you? Uh, the bu- <laughs> this book. No. Um, do you like Italian pasta? Well, <laughs> what's up, guys? Do you like Italian food? <laughs> Anyway, the promo code yeah. is Broder20 uh, at the uh, link below. I believe it's from Pluto Press. I could mm-hmm. see the Pluto Press or first, so yeah. there are there oh. are only there are only two uh, left wing publishers in the English language. I think it's I think it is this time. It's Pluto Press. Yeah, I think so. Too. Um, yeah, and uh, also <laughs> reminder uh, on November third at eight o'clock at comedy cafe berlin we will be having uh a live show mm-hmm. uh all of us hopefully uh it will be a good time tickets are five euros that's comedy cafe berlin which is in Neukölln. Mm-hmm. um do you know the actual address i don't you can look it up it, i don't know yeah i just know it's very far from my place <laughs> yeah no it's gonna be an absolute pain in the ass for me to get there as well but yeah uh it will be uh, a good nice time mm-hmm. uh and we uh i don't know what we have planned for it i guess we have to ask kieran because we literally still have to have a meeting about yeah. that but the point is that we will look cute and be funny so yeah that's it with saying that, uh, any suggestions for my outfit or I guess Uma's outfit for oh, the yeah. evening, sure. uh, please, please chime in. Let us know. Um, so far, Jeremy Fragrance is on the table for me, which Are you gonna, oh my I God. possibly could go as Jeremy Fragrance. Well, like a white suit just or something? All white. Oh, Jeremy Fragrance is easy because you just have to have all white. <laughs> no, I just, just 
cheesily slick my hair back or whatever. He used to have like oh, hair long God, like you mine. You look like a like a Spanish fascist probably. With the hairs, like no, I don't, I don't like. I have that to shave him. too, as well, so it'll get even worse. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, this would be disgusting. Yeah, okay, I think it's settled. I think I'm gonna go with Jeremy Fragrance. Oh, this fuck. is hot. Okay, but anyway, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, November third, eight p.m. at Comedy Cafe Berlin. We mm-hmm. really hope to see you there. Tickets will be five euros, and uh, that is then it mm-hmm. for this episode. We hope that you had a great time, and we'll see you guys all next week. Bye-bye.